Hi and welcome to Authorise, the podcast where writers speak. My name's Kevin Hillier and another fascinating author who's brought us another fascinating story coming up in uh, this edition. I'm talking about uh, well-known and much-loved and uh, best-selling author Peter Fitzsimons and his brand-new book called The Incredible Life of Hubert Wilkins. Sir Hubert Wilkins, Australia's greatest explorer, uh, a man who is, uh, was an, an engineer, a film producer, a polar explorer, a spy, an aviator, a navigator, a submariner, a man who was into mental telepathy. There's hardly a box he doesn't tick, and Peter Fitzsimons will tell you about this remarkable man uh, in just a moment. But thanks to my uh, podcast partners, CSCG. If uh, if your business needs a strategic plan, and every business does, uh, to plan for the future, to work out uh, the goods and bads of what you're doing, the people to talk to are CSCG. If you want to talk about lending to buy property, if you want to talk about superannuation, whether it's personal or business, if you want to talk about tax, CSCG are a team of people who uh, have the expertise and knowledge to help you out. So give them a call. I'd love to hear from you on double nine seven four eight triple three, or jump on the website and find out all about them. Have a look at the people that you'll be dealing with. They're an Australian-owned company. They're terrific people. CSCG.com.au. Uh, speaking of remarkable people, Peter Fitzsimons is one, a great character in his own right, and he's written a book, and a big book it is, about the incredible life of Hubert Wilkins. Let's talk to him about it now. Hi, favourite. How are you? Uh, hello, Peter. How are you going? Good. I'm ready to rock and roll. Uh, so am I, because this is a, a magnificent tribute to a uh, an incredible Australian who I must admit I didn't know very much about until this book, and that's that's in itself I should be slapped for that. Good um, on you. Thank you. Because if he was a footballer, <laughs> he, he, yeah. he, he would have a statue. He w- Well, if he was a footballer, he wouldn't just have a plaque in, a, in the urinals at the Adelaide airport as a, a testament to what he achieved. See, that's a good point. No joke. I wish I'd said that. If he was a cricketer, if he was a cricketer, there'd be streets and suburbs named after him. Yes, yes. And, Not- you, and you talk about the courage of somebody to face the bowling of Joel Garner. Talk to me about the courage of flying across oh. <laughs> the top of the world. Uh, just, just amazing. It, 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 it. I know it's. This isn't the first book about him, and it won't be the last, clearly. But mm. uh, the fact that he, he's not a, a name that rolls off your tongue like Burke and Wills, and 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 you know the many others that we could talk about. Uh, you know, Weary Dunlop, all those. The fact that yeah. that he, he his name isn't up there staggers me when you see what he's done. You know, we often talk about you know the courage I said of Joel Garner or taking on Mal Meninga. But yep. it is that kind of not, and this is not just courage over eighty minutes of a football game or five days of a test match. This is taking your life in your hands and, in a very cool, calculated, deliberate manner, putting yourself in danger's way to to attempt something that had never been done before to fly over the top of the world to take a submarine under the polar ice cap, and in the case of Wilkins' courage. In, uh, in the First World War, time and time and time again, taking his camera out into no man's land, into the teeth of enemy fire, to record and chronicle the daring do of the Australian soldiers. Absolutely breathtaking. Yeah, it is. And it's not like it's a like-for-like skill that he, he used in all these things. There were the, 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 the diversity of his achievements also staggered me. Yeah. That, well, look, a lot of your, a lot of your listeners will go, you know, like I did when I first came across him. Hubert who? What? George Wilkins what? Yeah. Well, what's that all about? And how is it that we don't know him? If I can give, you know, if I can write his biography, I've done it over, I think, 203,000 words, but if I can write it on my thumbnail right now and repeat it for your 
for your listeners. He was born in basically west of the Black Stump, south of Whoop Whoop in yes. South Australia, remote regional South Australia. And I've been to the house he grew up in, and in 360 degrees in every direction, you've got vast horizons uninterrupted by the view of anything. It's just it's just the flatlands and mountains in the distance and the, and the rest of it. But it's it's remote. And he wondered as a little boy, what's over those horizons? And he proceeded in the course of his life to see more fresh horizons that had never been seen by anybody yeah. than any set of human eyeballs that had ever existed. Because he 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 charted he 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 saw a lot of Antarctica that had never been seen by anybody. He saw a lot of the of the Arctic regions that had never been seen by anybody, and he just kept going to new horizons. But what happened was, he he there was an indigenous uh, tribe not far from him. And I treated appallingly, as Indigenous First Nations people were by white Australia at that time. He thought, I can learn from these people. He, he, was, he was welcomed among them. He worked out how they had been able to live off the land for thousands of years. He, he had this capacity to get new skills with every experience. He was particularly good at starting engines that weren't working. And when the family moved to South Australia, and he was, he was, happened to be, there was a traveling carnival effectively that showed this new technology called cinema and flickering images that nobody had ever seen before. When the engine that was driving it broke down, this 17 year old said, Well, I'll have a go at fixing it. He fixed it. He started to travel with them. He came to appreciate the power of photography. He then came to appreciate the power of aviation, which was also just, dare I say, getting off the ground. Boom, boom, at that time. He was the first one to put cameras with aviation and say, well, let's fly over a battlefield and let's record yeah. it from there, which he did in the Bulgarian-Turkish War in, uh, in, in the second decade of the, of, the tw- of the 20th century. He then went to the Arctic. He was the, I think he was the, the, like the 20, 28th man on board with an expedition to chart new, new regions of, of the Arctic. He became, just as a coming on as a photographer, he ended up leading the whole thing when the top man went to a remote area and didn't come back. He was the one that rescued him. He had this capacity for leadership. Then he goes back to the First World, and then he joins the Australian effort in the First World War as a cameraman photographer for Charles Bean, the great war correspondent. He, got, he was awarded the Military Cross for his bravery with Bar, which is effectively uh, winning the the military cross twice yeah. and this is where I get to him being the Forrest Gump of history yeah. when he first got to England as he was pulling into England you know in his ship there was another ship pulling out and yeah that would be the Titanic <laughs> <laughs> he then when the Red Baron when the Red Baron came down in that first world war who was Johnny on the spot with camera in hand as that happened it was Hubert Wilkins then for the battles for the iconic battles of Villa's Breton and also Monash's Battle of Le Hamel. Who was the only correspondent there? That would be our guy, Hubert Wilkins. Then he, uh, he was, he was, after the war, he went down to Antarctica. He came back. They said, would you be a spy in Soviet Russia for us? So he says, okay, well, he joins the Quakers Missionary Society as a British spy to work out what's going on in Soviet Russia. In the course of it, he interviews Vladimir Lenin not long before Vladimir Lenin died. He was there when Shackleton, he was on an expedition with Shackleton, the great Sir Ernest Shackleton, when Shackleton died. He was the first person really in, in, the, in the sweep of history, 
not to realise and use the phrase climate change, but he, when he went to Antarctica 10 years apart, he couldn't help but notice that the ice had receded uh-huh. and said, well, what's, what's going on? And he then, so he then was, he was the first one to say, I think I can fly a plane over from the top of the north, from northern Alaska over the Arctic ice cap and land in Norway. They said it couldn't be done. The first time they were right. The second time they were right. On the third attempt, he did, he did it. So famous with his co-pilot, Ben Arson, and he, when he landed, he was so famous. It was like a Lindbergh, Charles Lindbergh type seat. He was on the front page of the New York Times three days running. He did the submarine where he, he attempted to take a submarine under the north, uh, under the Arctic ice cap, which he did. He, he, he submerged beneath it, but didn't continue all the way through to the other side. But the measure of his life is that he, from being born in remote regional South Australia, he was so revered that come the time of his death, that he died in late 58 and his ashes in 1959 were scattered at the North Pole when a US nuclear submarine surfaced with the ashes. The captain has the ashes and casts them to the polar winds and says, you know, a few kind words about Hubert Wilkins. But he's an Australian. And I, I talk to you, Kevin, as you know, as someone who's written about Douglas Mawson, Yep. Uh, Monash, Kingsford Smith, many who've been on, you know, banknote, Australian banknotes. Yes. And with the greatest respect to those three that I name, Wilkins' record of achievement across many decades in diverse fields is unmatched by anybody ever. Yeah. Was it clouded because of the fictitious work that he wrote about his own life for a radio series? Yes. Is that where is that where it kind yes. of gets into the? Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Now, there's a bloke out there called Jeffrey Maynard who has devoted much of his life to documenting Wilkins, and he's done, you know, like he's a pioneer in terms of working out what happened, what didn't happen. There's another guy called Simon Nash, who's a friend of mine, who did a book, I think it was about 15 years ago, The Last Explorer, and and Simon was so generous to me and my researchers. I had lunch with him, and he bought with him two huge boxes filled with documentation that he'd gathered for 20 years. Dick Smith was another one who was very helpful. And so what I try to do with my books is I take fascinating subjects and with the help of researchers, I've just finished one on the Opera House, with the help of heavyweight, intellectual, intellectually endowed, well endowed uh, <laughs> researchers. I mean, seriously, people that are much smarter than I am try to get right. My skill is in the storytelling, I yeah. guess, and just trying to dig down and work out what happened, and when you find out what happened, my constant notation to my researchers is FD, FD, what's the fine detail to make this L&B, live and breathe. I don't want to say that when he when he's coming down at Spitsbergen in Norway, he, then, then he landed at Spitsbergen, on the island of Spitsbergen in Norway. I want to say, what was the wind like? What was the, What's the account? Get, get me the detailed account of everybody you can find of that, that experience of the moment that they see the mountains in front of them, the, the, the clouds clear, and there's a peak and they just miss it, and they come down and there's a small patch of snow, and how do they work out how to get into the wind to slow it and to make the slush of the ice, slow the plane down so they can land it in a pocket handkerchief in the middle of a blizzard. And what I want when I first started, you've been kind enough to interview me several times. Yeah. And so as you know, what I wanted to do in my writing when I first started writing books of historical things, 
I wanted it to be, I'm the storyteller, here's the campfire, I want you, the reader, sit with me at the campfire, everybody lean in, and I'll tell you what happened. And it was a dark and stormy night, and there was a shot in the distance, and what I want now, I've abandoned the campfire, I want to get you serious researchers to get me enough fine detail and I want to put it in the present tense that the reader, instead of being at the campfire listening to somebody tell a story, I want so much detail and it to be so authentic, backed up by ideally 2,000 footnotes, particularly for every bit of dialogue, that instead of the reader getting what you get when you read a book of fiction, which is this uh, as fantastic as the story might be, this little voice which says, this didn't happen. <laughs> there were great expectations by Charles Dickens. Brilliant, brilliant book. There'll never be a better one. But it didn't happen. There was no Pip. There was no Miss Havisham. There was no Estella. There was no wedding cake with mice coming out of it. It didn't happen. What I want is for my books to read like fiction, a great novel, whereby with dialogue, with detail, and yet when the reader is reading it, the reader, instead of saying, you know, well, this is just nonsense, it didn't happen, the reader gets, Jesus wept, this happened. <laughs> they actually did this. I mean, Kevin, can you imagine, as uh, you've read it, I mean, that scene on the submarine where the submarine's being novel, they've left, they've left Norway behind and they're getting to the polar ice cap. The, the sheer, the courage, the courage to take a submarine like that when you're facing a mutiny, to stare them down, to go under the ice, I mean, just simply breathtaking. By my count, he should have died about 15 times. Yes. He was nine times wounded in the First World War and, you know, came back every time. I mean, it's, I guess, one of the things, I don't, look, I'll be interested to see how this book sells. The, of all the books I've done, the one that that shocked me of, well, how well it went was Nancy Wake. Because uh, it shocked me because I, that that book, most books that I do, I go, I, I want to sell hundreds of thousands of copies. And that one, I I thought to myself, Nancy Wake, it won't sell because nobody knows who she is. I know who she is, but not many people do. And yet, it was such a staggering story the, of such adventure and daring do that it sold, I think, 200,000 copies. Wow. In this one, as you say, I don't, very, very few know who Hubert Wilkins is. But it's such an amazing story in such so many diverse fields. But we'll see how it goes. But I'm glad to have done my bit, you know, with the help of my researchers and people like Simon Nash and and the work of Jeffrey Maynard, who I particularly cite. Um, one thing that strikes me, Peter, is when you when you look at what this man did and and the breadth and diversity of the things that he did, it would be very easy to think that half of it didn't happen. Yeah, but it is. That's <laughs> that's that's exactly right. But it's, you know, there is no doubt. Like, it's interesting that there's the documentation that what I've got there did happen. I mean, John Monash wasn't making it up. But <laughs> mm, <laughs> mm. he said, you know, it's documented, it's there in the papers. This is the bravest man in my, my command. And he's got two military, he's got two military crosses, which is basically one down from the Victoria Cross. That happened flying across the top of the world. Well, I'll show you three pages, three front pages. New York Times. Yeah. That happened. Taking the submarine under. That happened. The trek across northern Australia, which is extraordinary. That that in the mid nineteen twenties, the British Museum, and this is only hundred and forty years after the white fellows arrived in Australia, the British Museum realises that many species 
uh, in Australia are on the edge of extinction. Plants, bird life, animals on the edge of extinction. We better send somebody you know, across northern Australia to gather up specimens. Who did they get? Hubert Wilkins, uh, and, and and so so it went. He was he was amazing, and because he was the complete package. When I wrote about Douglas Mawson, why Douglas Sir Douglas Mawson became became such a great polar explorer. It was because he was such he was the complete package in terms of physical prowess, moral courage, and scientific knowledge. You know, he he joined the first he first joined the Shackleton expedition in nineteen oh seven. I think he was the second last man on board and was so valuable that he became one of Shackleton's top three. And exactly as Shackleton himself had been oh, I think the second last on board with Scott of the Antarctic expedition in 1901, rose by his capacity. The parallels with Hubert Wilkins, when when he joined the Stephenson trip to the the Arctic, as I mentioned, as a photographer, rose to be the top man after Stephenson himself. They had this ability, this capacity to perform under pressure. But 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 Wilkins was again the complete package because he he had. He had he had the physical prowess. He had the moral courage. He had the scientific knowledge and quest for more knowledge. But he had one more thing that I I think more than any of the others. He well two more things. Everybody that ever worked with Wilkins said there was no harder worker. There it didn't matter how early anybody got up. Wilkins was on the job doing stuff. How how late they went to bed. Wilkins was on the job doing stuff. And the, the the final thing about him was his capacity to gather new skills. He was always, with every experience, putting together new skills, new capacities, new understanding of how to do things, so that as his adventures went on, he could use the skills of the previous venture. I mean, what first propelled him around the world was the capacity to start an engine and to operate a camera, <laughs> you know. And you, if you put those two together in the first decade or two of the 20th century, you were off to a good start of, of seeing new horizons. Then how to fly a plane. There's a, there's a great skill. And then putting them, putting them all together, um, as I mentioned, putting the camera in the plane, having the courage to take it low over lines, to capture footage that had never been captured before, to see and do things that had never been done. And yet he he does remain practically unknown to this day. And when people say, well, how is it? I say, I take myself as an example. I was a very moderate wallaby. I was in and out in five minutes. And in that five minutes, I played seven tests and was once set off against the All Blacks. Now, any question anybody's asked me ever since, it reminds me. I say, well, that reminds me of the time I took on the All Blacks single-handed. Yeah. You know, and I was, a, I am, was and am a self-promoter. Let <laughs> me tell you about the time <laughs> I did this, I did that. Now, Wilkins was a guy that when Monash said, this is the bravest man in my command, contacts Monash and says, please don't say that. You're embarrassing me. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I, I look at him and go, what? What? How can that be? Gee, if somebody said, if Bob Dwyer said the bravest wallaby I ever coached <laughs> was Peter Fitzsimons, I would tell him, and I'd say, more, please, please, please don't say that more than, more than a thousand forums, Bob. I mean, just extraordinary. And that, that's obviously part of the reason why he's not on the bank notes and why why we don't know him as a household word is is a little bit of the sort of, uh, you know, jack of all trades and master of none. There's not one thing that you can hang his head. I think he got the, the, the knighthood for the aviation contribution, but there's not one thing, whereas if you, you know, if you look at Sir Charles Kingsford Smith and that, there's one thing and you go, okay, that's it. 
I, yeah. I, can, I can put yeah. you on that hook. This bloke, I mean, to be to be told about Pearl Harbor before it happened, to to have been shot down in France and then actually make your way out of uh, occupied France, to have been on the bloody Hindenburg for God's sake, yeah. you know. Yeah. I mean, you just he, there's so many places he should have died. Uh, where he probably yep. would have been uh, instantly made into a, a, a public icon. And one of the problems with putting a book like this together was that if you take just his adventures in the Arctic, if you take just his adventures in the Antarctic, just his adventures on the Western Front, just just going across the Strait, just flying across the top of the world, just taking a submarine at the Polar Ice Cap, any one of those is worth a book. Yes. And... To, to be able to squeeze it all in 200,000 words was quite the exercise. And probably uh, a screenwriter will look at this and go, there's 12 films here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As opposed to, you know, I've got one, break them around, I've got one film and I go bang and that's it and that, that encapsulates mm. the story. But this bloke is just, uh, he's something else. I, I'm, I'm well, staggered and amazed that he's not uh, on our banknotes and, uh, and on, our, on our bloody uh, lips like everyone else. Oh, I think 10 years from now, Kevin, I don't think we'll have banknotes anymore. It's all hold your iPhone and bang. <laughs> I barely use banknotes anymore myself. Do you? No, Isn't that's it all true. Credit cards and even your watch can be programmed to do it. Anyway, I'm I'm thrilled with the response. I, I just got a nice review in the Australian today, which I was pleased with. Oh, good. Good, good, good. Hmm. No, it's uh, the bookshelves are full again. It's, uh, you know, I mean, how long did it take you – and and the research team, which I know included uh, uh, your Angus, who's uh, who's your right hand man yep. on this, your cousin, your son worked on this one with you. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, look, I, I run a posse of researchers, yeah. and each of them have different skills. And there's a woman called Barb Kelly in uh, in Albury, um, Albany, Albany in uh, Western Australia, who does wonderful work. I've got a woman, Dr. Libby Epney, um, in Me- in Mex- living in Mexico, who's a wonderful researcher. And when I'm in the final, always when I'm in the final death throes of a book. I like to put, you know, 24 to 36 hours into it a day and it works out well because at 11 p.m. I send to Libby in Mexico with 132 queries and when I wake up (laughs) and get get back to work at 7 a.m. the next morning, many of them are answered and you can just just pound, you know, research hours, human hours into making your manuscript stronger. And look, this one, I guess it was was done, I, I, I first told Simon Nash when look, I came across Wilkins when I first did, you know, I think it was the Kingsford Smith book that I first came across this guy Hubert Wilkins because Hubert Wilkins, when Kingsford Smith dropped out of the centenary air race in 1919, there was a bloke called Wilkins who replaced him. Yeah. When when uh, the Red Baron came down, who was there? Oh, there was a bloke called George Wilkins was there. He was George Hubert Wilkins became knighted, Sir Hubert Wilkins. When Kingsford Smith wanted to buy a plane, who sold it to him? Uh, the, which the plane that became the Southern Cross, that was Hubert Wilkins. Yeah. So I became aware of him through that. And then again, when I did all my trilogy of the Great War, um, Billis, Britain, Hamel and so forth, there was Hubert Wilkins was there again. When I did Mawson, you know, who was there when Shackleton died? Wilkins. So I became interested in this guy that kept popping up. <laughs> and then I read Simon's book, um, and I said to Simon, I think Simon's book came out in 2007, and I said to Simon, I'm going to give you, listen, you bastard, I'm going to give you five years start. But, that, <laughs> but, but I saw him first, and that book is so, you know, that story is so strong. And so in the end, as I say, Simon was staggeringly generous to place at my service uh, his knowledge, and he, in fact, in the end, bettered, bettered the manuscript and made many useful suggestions. 
When you when you look at what uh, Hubert Wilkins did, it's no it's no surprise to me when I when I saw that you said that Dick Smith was a, a massive fan of his and a an aficionado. Because yes. uh, yes. talk about like minded spirits. Yes, I should actually credit Dick Smith as well because Dick also, um, again, extraordinarily detailed knowledge has been studying Hubert Wilkins all his life, and he also vetted the manuscript. You know, I like I like people. I like. When I finish a manuscript, I like to find the most pedantic person I can Isn't that and hand brother? them the red. <laughs> well, that's interesting. You know that. Well, no. See, so I, I hand it to a lot of people in, in particular fields. So, in in my brother David, who's an engineer, has a very short attention span, yes. and so he reads my stuff with a red pen and just crosses out whole pages and says, "Boring. I don't care," <laughs> and I don't. I don't immediately delete whatever he's bored by, but it's a good guide. But Dick Smith is like very, was very pedantic about this and that and spelling of this and spelling of that yeah. and timings and all that. And it just helps a lot with a book to cut out the, cut out errors early and cut out dull bits early. And ideally what you're left over with is a cracker of a book. Well, you are, absolutely. Uh, the incredible life of uh, Hubert Wilkins, Australia's greatest explorer. Petty, you've done it again, mate. Another another classic Australian underachiever you've brought to our attention. Spread the word, Kevin. Thanks very much. <laughs> absolutely. Good on you, mate. Thanks for your time. See Thanks, ya. mate. Well, thanks to Peter Fitzsimons for his time. Uh, he's been on the podcast on a couple of occasions before and it's always great to have him on. Always does a fascinating uh, and very well-researched and well-thought-out book. So that's one that uh, you might want to have a look at for your Christmas shopping list. The Incredible Life of Hubert Wilkins, out now by author Peter Fitzsimons uh, through uh, Hatchet. Uh, my thanks to uh, the book company as well for their help in putting all this together. And uh, I'm sure in about a year from now, we'll probably uh, be speaking to Peter Fitzsimons again about another book. I have no doubt about that at all. We'll also hopefully be talking about CSCG because they are people who are in it for the long haul, in it for the long haul for your finances. So whether you want to talk about superannuation, whether you want to talk about things like single touch payroll and how to organise that for your business, taxation for yourself and your business, or a strategic plan to put your business business in the best possible position. They can help you with all of those things. They are a multitasking company with uh, many, many arms and many, many portfolios uh, spread amongst some very talented people. Uh, so give them a call. Double nine seven four eight triple three. Jump on the website and uh, see who you're dealing with at cscg.com.au. Hope you've enjoyed this edition of the uh, Authorised Podcast. Many more to come. Uh, there's many more there where you found this one uh, that you're going to listen to some of the great authors we've spoken to in the past. Uh, till the next time, I'm Kevin Hillier. Take care of yourself. Listener.